Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. It's great to go away and have a great time. Just how can I do it? It just doesn't quite have the same kind of negative impact on the place that I'm visiting or on the atmosphere or, or on carbon emissions. You know, and there are many ways that you can travel now that reduce that and also positively impact on the place as a sort of net positive. That is our guest today, Richard Hammond, an expert on low carbon travel, eco holidays and sustainable travel. And he is going to share plenty of those tips and strategies today so you and I can become a better, more sustainable travel without hassle or getting overwhelmed, really simple, straightforward stuff that we can use to just lessen our impact while still fulfilling our travel dreams. You're going to learn why you should work towards being carbon neutral when traveling, tips for becoming a flexitarian when traveling. You'll hear what that is. Which forms of travel have a lower carbon footprint? What is greenwashing and how to spot a truly sustainable company? Why being a green traveler is a state of mind. The three golden rules to be more environmentally friendly on your next trip and much more. All of that happening today. Plus, I want to give a shout out to somebody taking their first big step towards a life filled with more travel. And they had to overcome some big things to make it happen. It's one of the fellow listeners of the show. So you'll hear that story and plenty of other goodies packed into today's show. So let's get into it, shall we? Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and... Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. What's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you today, my friend? Hope this episode finds you well. And you know it's always a good sign when you have to go to the store to buy an adapter for charging things and for plugging things in. I've got one in my hand right now because I'm taking a trip soon, which is always a good feeling. And I do want to do what I can to cut down on my carbon footprint and be a more sustainable traveler. I think we all do. But the intention and the practical side of it 
is sometimes two different things, right? And it's, it's kind of a balance. We talk about a lot of these things in the show today. You want to do the right thing, but it's not always easy. And then sometimes you just kind of rationalize the things you do as okay and maybe try to make up for it later. I don't know about you, but I can be a little guilt-ridden sometimes when it comes to the traveling I've done and the environmental impact that has had. And I'd like to think I have offset that in other ways by not owning a car for many years, for example, and things like that. But it's really hard to say. I do think it's important to have this conversation, to all be a part of this conversation as humans who share the planet, and to do what we can, right? And how we can do that is by having some tools to work with, having some simple tips, nothing too overwhelming, just some practical strategies, some things to be aware of, some things we can do and implement so we can lessen our impact. And if all of us do, you know, one or two of these things, imagine how that adds up as we travel over many years collectively. So that is why I wanted to put this show out. We can all try to become better travelers. We can do our part. And even, again, if we just take one thing and implement it, let's uh, do that together so we can lessen our impact. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. I do want to give a shout out to somebody in this community. So you can stick around for that. I loved reading this story. And on the back end, I'll also share my favorite tip for being a more environmentally friendly traveler. It's a very simple one. Not something I do all the time, but when I do it, it feels great. Now, let's slip and slide into this interview with Richard Hammond, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is the founder of the award-winning travel website, greentraveler.co.uk. That's Traveler with two L's, and we'll leave that link in the show notes. He was previously the Guardian's eco-travel correspondent and travel editor of National Geographic's Green. He's also the author of a new book called The Green Traveler, A Conscious Adventure That doesn't cost the earth. Today, he's going to help us learn how we can plan a green trip and minimize our impact as travelers. Richard Hammond, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for asking me on. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, Delighted to have you and hugely important topic. I wanted to start with kind of trying to figure out how you got into this line of work because you've been doing this type of work for a while. I mean, I went on your LinkedIn and I saw in 1994, you were volunteering in the islands doing some research on, uh, I think, coral reefs and things like that. Like, How far back does your work in sort of sustainability and climate change and, and all of these topics that are so relevant now or, or were then, at least they've got more awareness now. How long has this been a part of your life? You know, it's been part of my life ever since I graduated, you know, from university. And I did a postgrad in publishing. And one of the production courses I did there was the, the, the environmental issues facing the 90s. <laughs> so it was um yeah it was it goes back a long way and and of course it's a lot of the issues we're facing today we, you know the world was facing back then um they've just become a bit more further on and a bit more prescient and a bit more urgent or a lot more urgent uh, we should say now um so yeah it's really back back then and you know i studied i studied physiology i was really interested in you know the sort of how things worked uh, and then did a postgrad in publishing and i wanted to kind of communicate natural history and science and my first jobs were in publishing uh, for book publishers 
uh, in natural history and travel publishing. Uh, and then the, I got to work on a book about the national parks of Malaysia and went out to, to Borneo, Borneo part of Malaysia, Sabah, um, to look at ecotourism there, which is still a very, it was a very nascent industry then. And that, you know, changed my world, really. I saw how I met some fantastic people running brilliant examples of ecotourism, I mean, particularly a, a plumber from the Isle of Man who was out in Western Australia. He'd set up this uh, eco beach with lots of the kind of local Aboriginal indigenous people. And it was amazing. I just thought this is the future of, of travel. It would make for a better experience. That's what I thought. I thought this is the future, uh, sort of community-based tourism. Um, and I came back and started writing about it and got a few got a few gigs, as it were, and, and, and it went from there. Why did it take so long for the future to arrive? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like the media tried over and over again to talk about climate change and some of these issues and things like that. And as you just mentioned, you know, having a connection in terms of travel with the local community, the local culture... It just makes for a tra better travel experience. It just makes sense. So all of these things that we we talk about now as a part of, say, ego conscious travel or whatever label you want to use. Why did it take so long <laughs> to get here? You know, I think it's funny because some of the big tour operators, like small group adventure tour operators, like Intrepid Travel and G Adventures, they've been doing this for a heck of a long time. <laughs> you know, and um, maybe they didn't shout about it early on because. You know, it was kind of part of what they did. And the same for the kind of UK-based organizations like Exodus and Explore. You know, Intrepid are based in Australia and Ventures in Canada. But they're all worldwide now. Um, and I think that maybe, you know, maybe they're... I mean, the, the reason why those companies grew was because of the product they were offering with the sort of things that people wanted. And they were about going to low-impact places, community-run initiatives. That's what it was all about. And that was seen to be maybe the preserve of the small group adventure travel section not mainstream travel yeah and right i think the reason why it's taken a long time to come because it's it hasn't ta it's taken a long time to get into the mainstream uh, and if you like those small you know niche sort of companies have grown really big i mean intrepid and g adventures are huge companies now um and it's it's almost as though those companies had to grow rather than the mainstream travel you know took on those trips um but I think we see it across the industry now. I mean, one of the issues of the travel industry is it's so fractured. You know, there's the hospitality section and then there's the transport, there's the cruising, there's the there's the travel sector, there's the trains, the buses, the planes. And then there's the, you know, the, the tour operator side to it. You know, and they're all quite, you know, generally they're quite separate. I mean, there are there is sort of vertical integration in some aspects of it, you know, where the big the big companies own all stages of the of the booking process. But, um, you know, a lot of it is quite, you know, um, disconnected, if you like. So I think that hasn't helped, you know, in, the, in moving the agenda forward because it's always like, well, it's someone else's problem. <laughs> right. No, that's true. Yeah. And as uh, individuals planning a trip, which we're going to get into today, I mean, like you just described, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you are taking this fractured environment and if you're if you're looking at it through the lens of you know I want to minimize my impact as a traveler I want to be a better traveler now it's it's our job to kind of figure out all these pieces <laughs> and put them together in a way that makes sense for independent travelers as you mentioned there are companies that serve you know small group trips and and you can read about the things they do and we're going to talk about greenwashing and things like that cuz I want to get your advice on making sure you know 
we, we do our due diligence when it comes to that. But uh, in terms of the independent travelers, that is that is a bit of a, a responsibility and a feat and it takes effort, right? I mean, that's what you're kind of here to help us with is to kind of figure out what are some of the the sort of the the top line easiest ways we can we can kind of do that. But I mean, yeah, what are your thoughts on yeah, just independent travel through that lens. You know that um, you know you mentioned that you know I've been covering this for some for quite some time since the early nineties. One of the things in writing this book in the last year is that I realised you know I went back and sort of looked at all my notes and work that I'd done in previous decades, and then actually to enter update it, and I realised now there are just so many more options now. It's so much easier to go green than it ever used to be. So there are lots of ways, lots of tools, and and it's, it cuts across all aspects of. The holiday, right from the beginning, from where you're planning to go to where you're looking to book, to what you pack in your luggage, to how you travel out to the destination and where you stay when you get there and what you do when you get there. So all elements of your trip now, there are options, there are choices that you can make. Yeah. I want to start by giving a nod or, or maybe addressing perhaps the elephant in the room. <laughs> which is why should we travel in the first place? I always think this is unfair because when I reflect back, you know, I did all this traveling. Well, it's yeah, easy for you to say you've done all this traveling and now you can sit back and I mean, that's not really fair, right? Shouldn't we just stay home? Like why, you know? Yeah, I'm so glad you raised this because it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the elephant in the room. And, and, and it's funny, actually, in the pandemic that we've all, most of us experienced, you know, we've all been forced to not travel and to discover the hyper-local, if you like, and see what's on our doorstep. And I think a lot of people have discovered for the first time walks and places to go near to where they live and have realized that there are many more walks and places to go near where they live that they still haven't seen and they want to find out more of so i think you know if there's if there's one thing the pandemic has helped with the travel is actually see what's on our doorstep more appreciate what's on our doorstep um but i do think you know travel you know there are so many positives of travel you know just from a very sort of personal point of view of just getting away from where you are seeing another culture getting under the skin of another you know, country and just seeing how it all works in it. And you, you learn a lot about your own way of life by looking at other people's way of life. You know, I think that's a really powerful part to, for, to traveling. And also, I mean, it's a forget, it's just fun, isn't it? You know, just having those spontaneous moments, you know, with family and friends in a different place is enjoyable. And, you know, um, and, and, and if it can do good, then great as well. I think the problem is that we're trying to look at is that you can have a great time, but there are lots of ways that in having a great time, you can actually really harm the place that you're visiting. I think we've got to kind of turn it around and think, well, I'm going to go away. It's great to go away and have a great time. Just how can I do it? It just doesn't quite have the same kind of negative impact on the place that I'm visiting or on the atmosphere or, or on carbon emissions. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there are many ways that you can travel now that reduce that and also positively impact you know, on the place. There's a sort of net positive impact, whether that's through helping species, you know, survive. I mean, there is a lot of tourism can really help bring much needed money into conservation of wildlife, desperately needed wildlife that's, you know, being threatened by all sorts of reasons, all sorts of um, destructive forces. So there are, you know, travel can be a good thing if it's done in the right way. We love to travel, people. If you're listening to this, obviously you're you're a, f a fan of travel, so we're probably not going to stop doing it. It's going to be a part of our lives, so why not get some education here and figure out some some things from you on how we can we can do it better in a way that's also like 
I love the idea of, you know, even net positive. And, and when you were talking about, <laughs> I know this might sound like a stretch for some people in, in my head, that's sort of how I like to think of it where like, okay, on the whole, if, if we're traveling with, with the mindset where we're, you know, kind of learning about cultures, learning about the world, diving in, we, we come back perhaps as a, a better version of ourselves. Although maybe you can't make a direct correlation between being carbon neutral and, and whatever good you do after traveling because your mind's been open in a certain way, that might be, that's something that's a very sort of woo-woo-y to some people. I don't know. But I, I do believe with the right mindset and coming back from a trip, you're, you're changed. I like to think you're more of a global citizen in many ways. You're more aware of some some things and some of the issues. And I do think overall that might tip the scales in favor of um, balancing some of that out. Now, you can't say that you know, you're, you're buying a certain amount of carbon credits and eliminating, you know, it from that flight. But I mean, what, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, yeah, I think it's, it's actually comparing apples with pears, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's hard. I know, I know it's a stretch, but at the same time, it's like, it goes back to just there being value in travel in and of itself. Right. Yeah. So we should not eliminate, not look to eliminate that, but improve it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think there's different levels of, of traveling and, and the impact that you have. And I, I think that, you know, addressing things like being, we're very casual. We become very casual about flying, for instance. So, you know, and flying, but, you know, although there are lots of no frills airlines around now, it's still quite expensive for a lot of people. Uh, but for equally, for, for some people, it's incredibly cheap. Um, and I think that we have to look at, I think, that understand that, you know, flying off to New York for one weekend and then, you know, on a shopping trip and then going to Milan three weeks later for another shopping trip, surely that has to be kind of looked at and think, well, actually, do we really need to be doing that given the destruction that flying is contributing to? You know, I mean, it's not the only contribution to climate, to carbon emissions, but it's part of the mix. And, you know, um, and, and I think that we have to address that issue first and foremost, you know, about the, you know, no, we're not saying don't fly. I mean, the world is going to continue to fly. Flying is going to get greener eventually. But right now where we are, it is a big polluter and we have to kind of address that. And I think that, you know, on the other hand, tourism can be very positive. How can we use our flight to the best effect and i think that you know if we're going to fly i think it's an understanding that actually we are causing some pollution here how can we actually somehow redress that by the types of holiday that we have when we get to the destination and if that means doing something that's good for community local community empowerment or climate justice or uh, biodiversity conservation that's all well and good it's very hard to kind of you know, make that equilibrium between the two and equal those things out. But I think that it's that understanding that, well, actually I am going to try and do some good because I am flying. Yeah. It, it's tough too, because it's, we all have our own justifications for things, right? As travelers. So let, let me use a real world example because I'd love your feedback on this. I am planning a trip with my family. My, I have two small kids and they don't get to spend a lot of time in the U.S. with their grandparents because I live in Norway. And so we are going to be flying to Florida and spending a little over a month to be with them, to do things and, and all that stuff. So my justification is what you just heard. Well, I mean, well, first of all, yeah, I, I'm aware of that carbon impact. I don't feel great about it, but at the same time, I want my kids to see their family. Also, 
I am going to one destination and coming back. So we're not taking like many flights around. So there's that. That's a that's a good thing, I feel. We're going to be contributing, I guess, to the local economy. I don't know if Florida needs more contribution or if Disney World's need more, more contribution to their economy. But, you know, as a real world example, this is me saying, okay, well, I understand this the, the impact. Would it better be better if I just stayed home? Yes. But at the same time, as like a father... I want my kids to see their grandparents and but that's no small flight from Europe to to America. So yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Again, there's no necessarily right answer, but people have proposed a flexitarian approach to flying, like sort of vegetarianism where you don't necessarily give up meat altogether, but you just eat a lot less meat. Yeah. And I think that it's the same thing, you know, you could apply that to flying that yeah, if, if you have a, if you want to go and see your family who you haven't seen for a long time, you want to give your children a great experience. You want to go to some big family event, whether it's a funeral or a wedding or whatever it is. You know, I think that people can continue to fly, but I think that so, so you go to Florida one year and you think, well, next year perhaps we'll go somewhere a bit closer to home. We'll, we'll, exp- we'll explore more of, you know, Sweden and Denmark on Finland, you know, or whatever, or more of Norway. And I think that's and you know, and it maybe. There was a, a model produced of over three years. You sort of look, look at one long haul flight, a couple of mediums and a short haul or something like that. Well, you know, to try and kind of mix it up like that rather than automatically clicking for the long haul flight every year. And in some cases, every holiday, people click for the long haul uh, uh, option. You know, I think trying to, trying to balance it like that. You imagine if someone flew every holiday and then they decided actually every other holiday we're going to fly, they've immediately halved when they're doing it. And I think that's um, that's where we need to be. And it's about personal responsibility, isn't it? I think, as you say, there's no real total solution to it unless, you know, there's carbon emission, the embedded carbon emissions in everything we do has been calculated and we can assess what we pay and how much carbon emissions there's going to be. We're, we're a long way off from that. So I think it becomes down to personal responsibility and what you feel comfortable with. I don't want to dictate what people should do because it's up to people's own, you know, responsibilities. And, and, and it comes back to your own carbon footprint as well. For, for instance, at home, you know, how well insulated is your house? You know, how, how do you drive, you know, every day to work in a petrol car? You know, it's all those other things. And I think a lot of people who, you know, who live very uh, green lives, you know, and then, and then, want to then go away and travel. And they sort of think, well, we've been, you know, how much, can we afford to go away traveling on an airplane given how green we are? And look at your total carbon footprint. And, you know, there's, we've looked at, I mean, in the UK, for instance, the average is something like eight to 10 tons a year of carbon dioxide emissions. You know, I mean, it's, and that's got to come down drastically if we're going to really address climate emergency, you know, by half, by more than half. So I think that it's people understanding that. I think that's the greatest issue is people understanding what their footprint is and their footprint is and how, how can they address that? when they go on holiday and, and, and still continue to travel. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway. 
not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Let's talk about the practicalities around that and perhaps through through your book and, and some of the content in there around how to plan like green, more green trips, you can give us a framework to work within or, or some kind of parameters within which to plan. I, I'm not sure if, if you can break it down that way or, or how you would go about explaining that. But if you just kind of want to walk us through maybe the types of questions we should ask ourselves, because as you mentioned, that there's the fractured industry, but but all of those sort of core elements are a part of any trip, right? You got your accommodations, your flights, your food, your transportation, whatever. Can you help us kind of figure out what how we should approach a trip from this the largest part i mean 70 percent. if we're just looking at carbon emissions to start with the the 70 percent, 70 to 80 percent on average of a holiday the carbon emissions are in the getting there and back so that first and foremost is the thing to address you know it's and and, and to to really address that it, it there's a step difference between flying and every most other forms of overland transport you know perhaps not suv cars but most overland transport is a lot less uh, has a lot less emissions than flying so if there's any way that you can possibly try and not fly to a destination you will really address that problem you know straight away you know it's kind of probably easier in europe to do that because there's a fantastic high-speed rail network and the infrastructure for that has had massive investment over recent years slightly put on hold during the pandemic but it, we're now seeing the fruits of that really happening now and lots of fantastic overnight sleeper trains coming on you know, new services all the time 
Um, and, and it's just a lovely way to travel. All the benefits of you know traveling by train and not having to worry about your baggage, you know, weight, and not worrying too much about if you miss the train, you can get the next one. And you arrive in the city center, right in the heart of a city center. You don't have to that sort of extra transfer in, um, you know. And there's, it's just a lot less hassly way to travel, you know. And I love also when you arrive, you know, at a train station in another country, and you come out, you know, you get to the platform, you come off the train into the platform, and there are buskers and there are bike racks, and you already feel like you're like traveling like a local. You know, it's like you don't have to wade through juicy free or get wait for your bags to be paid time and rest to it. So, you know, addressing that is, is a fundamental thing I'd start with. And, and then I think it then comes down to, well, you know, what are you, where are you going to stay and what are you going to do on your holiday? You know, there have been huge changes in the hospitality industry to go greener. And I think now there are, there's a wealth of choices for every, for every choice. I almost go as far as to say is for every choice, every, every holiday you find, every hotel you find, there's always a green alternative now, whether that's in the city center or out in the wilderness, that there is going to be a more sustainable option. Um, so that would be the second thing I'd, I'd look at. Uh, and then thirdly, you know, how, you know, things like what do you do when you're there? What restaurants do you eat at? And this is similar actually for the hotels, for the restaurants there's generally a more sustainable option for where you eat. You know, the places that serve local seasonal produce, not not shipped in from overseas. Um, and then also what you're doing when you're there. I mean, are you try and use low impact activities that, you know, don't have such a kind of destructive, you know, impression on the on the destination. And, you know, whether that's, you know, going walking or kayaking or, you know, rather than using kind of high impact um, you know, emissions. Um, that that can really help as well. I love trains as well. It sounds like you're a fan. I mean, there's something about the gentle rocking, the the landscape going by, actually being a part of uh, the change that you're witnessing, as opposed to just kind of getting plopped down on the other side. And so, I, I guess I would challenge people listening if if they haven't taken, or it's been a while since they've taken some of these other modes of transportation before. Um, there are some incredible adventures to be had outside of uh plane journeys just just yeah. by traveling overland right yeah I mean, I mean you know i think that a lot of you know certainly for british people that a lot of people's experience of traveling by train is is during the week when it's crowded and expensive right yeah like commuting <laughs> yeah. yeah and um you know the difference between when you're traveling for leisure is is a different it's a different experience um you know especially you know you're not, especially if you're not traveling at the peak times you know, unless people on board, it's pleasurable. You can get a seat always and look out the window. And, and I think that also a lot of people's past experience of traveling, especially things like with ferries, when, when they did it when they were younger, yeah, and it's like, you know, ferry travel has changed enormously. You can, you, there's really good quality of not just the, the food and the sleeping, you know, the berths, the accommodation, but also things like the kids' clubs and cinemas and things to do on ferries. It's a brilliant way to travel with families. I have two young children as well and they always seem to fall asleep <laughs> either on a ferry <laughs> on a train so. yeah, there's that benefit too yeah. well you know ha- hanging around waiting to check in to a, you know for an airline you know with two young children is no fun is it really? oh no it's the opposite of fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how old are your kids uh they're eight and nine now yeah okay yeah. I think they're probably at the age where they travel pretty well now right yeah yeah they do i mean but you know when they were younger that, you know, they need to be busy, don't they? They need to have things to, to do. Um, and, 
you know, I mean, we, the, 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 for instance, there's a terrific ferry service that goes down from south of England down to northern Spain. And, you know, the quality, and there's fantastic things to do on board. And you, you get on the ferry and you can have a dinner before the ferry leaves. So you eat quite early and get the kids, you know, into bed. And they sleep through the night. And then, you know, you wake up and you're there the next morning. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. There's a ship that goes from Oslo to Copenhagen. And I've been meaning to do a family trip on that because it just sounds like a really cool sort of mini adventure, not too far. And you get to get a little taste of, of you know, boat life. And I think there's a little train mixed in there and stuff like that. So it's cool. I mean, I think that's one of the things I was thinking about when you were kind of sharing some of that is our inclination in Western society, I feel, is to optimize our efficiency, right? It's like, well, a plane's the quickest way to get there. So we're just going to fly. But is it is the quickest way always the best for the travel experience? Well, you know? I mean, exactly that. I mean, if you travel overland, then the, the traveling becomes part of the journey, comes part of the holiday. And, um, and you it's have to great. look at it like that, right? I mean, yeah. you have to. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, a, a, a great one is, you know, going down to Morocco, Northern Africa on the train. And, you know, I mean, maybe it's because we've all been locked down for so long. But I, in October, I went down to Barcelona in a day on the train from London. And um, it was just exciting getting to Paris and looking at the destination board and seeing all these great destinations you could reach by train, you know, uh, you know, in Switzerland and south of France and Italy. And, um, but, you know, going down to Morocco, you then take the train down, you know, down through northern Spain, down through the middle of Spain, and it progressively becomes more Moorish. And you get this sense of, like, how the culture is changing. By the time you get to you know, Algeciras in southern Spain or Tarifa, have a night there in a tapas bar, and then in the morning you get the ferry over, you pass the strait, you know, you go across the straits of Gibraltar, you see the rock of Gibraltar next to you, you know, it's like, wow, look at that. And then ahead of you is looming the continent of Africa, you know, and you arrive. And by the time you get there, you feel assimilated, you know, to what Northern Africa is about because you kind of travel with a few of them and you've sort of gone through Southern Spain and it becomes progressively more, as I say, Moorish and things. And then when all the taxi drivers come to the port, like they do at the airport and thing, you, you feel kind of cool with it because you're just you've got a sense and the humidity and everything else. But I have flown that trip and it takes you a couple of days for your head to catch up with you, you know, to get assimilated into this massive change of culture. I mean, Northern Africa is a very different place to be than, you know, than, than, um, you know, Northern Europe. And, um, but traveling by train, you do, you, you get, you, you get acclimatized to it. Um, and it's so, it's so much, it's so fascinating, you know, just traveling through those on that route. Um, and then you get to North Africa and then you've got all these options available there. And actually, you know, the train system in North Africa is in Morocco is, is, is pretty good, you know, and then I carried on up into the Atlas mountains by train by Casablanca and it's done the trip several times. It's, it's terrific. Nice. Well, what are some of the red flags that people should look out for when they're planning? And I'm specifically referring to the idea of greenwashing. If that's the first time you're hearing this term, maybe you could just break down what that means and then give us some tips on how to go about researching and understanding and, and doing due diligence in a way that's not overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are a lot of companies now that have seen the effect on climate and the nature emergencies and are doing a lot of good things to address that. But at the same time, there are a lot of companies, sort of more unscrupulous companies, who've seen, they're sort of riding the green wave, if you like, and um, you know, marketing this idea and using it for marketing purposes. And 
trying to kind of promote themselves as green businesses when that they're, they're not as quite as green as they as they think they are because they're seeing other people are booking green businesses so they're looking for a slice of the of this new pie if you like i think one of the, the biggest things is is really i think if people it's about overclaiming, you know, and a lot of companies sort of say they do this, that, and the other, and you need to really see have they have they had some kind of third party verification of what they do. You know, has there been someone else? Has there been another organisation who has come in and looked at the business and said, "Yeah, these guys are doing what they say they're doing," you know? And I think there are um, there is another issue in the tourism industry that there are so many eco labels around. I think I last count there are over 250 different types of eco labels. Some are very regionally based, some are nationally, some are international. Um, and I often I like the ones that are national because they are the same issues within one country. Whereas international schemes, you know, the issues of water, for instance, are less of an issue in, say, Wales in Britain than they are in southern Spain, where water is an enormous you know, scarcity. So I think that um, you know, looking at national schemes is is really good. There's B Corp, you know, which a lot of people may have heard of, you know, outside the travel industry. And now a lot of companies, travel companies, are are getting um, certified by B Corp. And I think that that's a really good because they're looking at whether companies are balancing, you know, people and profit and the planet. So they're looking at those three aspects. Um, and that's really important and uh, to make sure these companies, and you have to go through a process every few years to make sure you still are doing what you say you're doing. So I think that's really a good one to look at. Um, you know, companies like Intrepid have got B Corp um, and there's uh, several other good organizations here in the UK where they're, um, you know, that they're going for that certification and, and there are many others in Europe. Um, um, but also, so I think eco labels can really help because that, you know, especially when the eco label has had someone go and visit the company, look through the books, see what they're doing. And that's not just for tour operators, but for accommodations as well, you know, certification schemes where they go in and say, so what are you doing for your energy, waste, water, provision of local food? And are you encouraging your guests to ride by public transport? You know, those five things are really important to look at. And, you know, no one business well, very few businesses do absolutely everything 100% perfectly all the time. But what you can, what, what you want to get a sense of is that the owners of those businesses are committed, genuinely committed to, you know, reducing their impact on the environment. So I think that's where eco-labels come in. It's a really strong uh, way of checking that. But it's not the only thing. And I, I'm quite keen to stress this because it's, you know, it's a matrix. It's, it's a matrix of eco-labels. It's also word of mouth. Do you know anyone that's been to these places? What do they say about it? And it's also looking at the, the, the website of these companies and seeing what are they saying. You know, some people can write amazing, you know, uh, copy on their websites so that think you they're doing brilliant things. So you can't go on that alone. But that's why I think you need to build up these different things that can add in, you know, four or five different channels, just like it is when you're booking a holiday in the first place. You, you don't just go on, you know, what one online travel agency says necessarily, you often will look around, you know, anyone that's visited it, what does its own website say? Have you seen it advertised anywhere? You know, those kinds of things. Uh, it's the same for looking, you know, about whether or not something is green or not. Um, you know, I think, you know, increasingly the big online travel agencies are now flagging up properties that are greener. Um, so, you know, for instance, Google now, you search on Google it and it's starting to flag up those hotels that have gone through some certification scheme. Um, and a verified certification scheme that's been accredited, uh, you know, by a third-party organisation. So that's 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 a really important way of, of checking that. I did notice that a little sidebar that 
Google flights, for example, is now starting to list the carbon impact on the flights next to which I thought was brilliant. You know, that being said, let's say we have to fly, right? And and, and we are trying to be eco-conscious. Is it are these schemes where you can buy carbon credits or things like that, is is it worth the investment to do that type of thing? Well, I think, I mean, I know Skyscanner, uh, Sky, people will probably have heard of Skyscanner. They've done a lot of work um, in, in making sure that when you, in your results, you can find, you know, see what the various emissions are of the various airlines that you're choosing and you can select the ones that are greener. I think that's a, a really important piece of work that they've done. Um you know, I think fundamentally what, we, you know, carbon offsets and carbon credits and all those things, what we're trying to do is to reduce the emissions in the first place, not try and continue being part of the problem and trying to sweep it up <laughs> afterwards. Um, that said, you know, if you are going to fly, choosing a greener airline, you know, can make a, can make a significant difference because some airlines are a lot greener than others. And also, if you want to go further and do offsets, and I mean, why not? I mean, it's, it, it, you know, more, it can do good as long as you're choosing schemes that again have had some kind of third party verification and that they really are doing what they say they're doing. I mean, then there are, there are companies that are doing great things, you know, in, in doing that. I mean, but I think what we, what we really need to do <laughs> is to move to a society that's producing less carbon uh, and, and consuming less fossil fuels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your point back in the beginning was <laughs> a great one. I mean, you know, for, probably have to start with for, you know, not forget the traveling, but what are we doing at home? first of all, right? Because that's our our daily life. I mean, except for listeners to this show, a lot of people, their home is the road or they, you know, spending many months on the road, which I think, you know, certainly can lessen the impact if you're traveling overland and you're, you're slow traveling and things like that. I'd imagine that's a, a better way to go about it. One of the other benefits. Oh, do you wonder how, you know, how well publicized it is about the effects of long haul flying is on carbon emissions i mean because you can be incredibly green most of the year take one flight to australia <laughs> back for instance long haul and you can pretty much obliterate your carbon footprint from the year from everything else you're doing so i think that um it's important to to, to emphasize that that you know that um a lot of people who 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 are green. And I think actually it comes back to the sense that actually if you're a green traveler, it's a state of mind. It's not about a one-off gesture. Oh, right. This year I'm not going to fly and da da, And then, you know, the next year you carry on flying or something, you know, it's like, it's, it's a state of mind. And most people who are now mindful of, of what's going on with climate change, you know, it's about all recycling that normally do. It's about reusing a jam jar for another thing. It's about those day-to-day things that, you know, becomes part of a mindset. And then you start applying that to how you travel. And I think that's perhaps been missing in the past where, people haven't you know they thought right we're going to go on holiday we need to rest we need to recharge you know you almost when you choose a holiday you want to forget about all your responsibilities don't you it's sort of getting away from the day-to-day you know responsibilities that we all have um but i think now is the increasing realization that we have to take those um that mindset when we travel um and i think that's you know that's where it lies so um so but anyway going back to what we said right at the very beginning you know it, although it's very important, obviously, to be green in your day-to-day life, you also have to be green when you choose a holiday. And I think that, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean never fly again, because that's impractical. I think people still are going to do that. But it's about looking at ways of minimizing that, um, being selective of how often you fly, long haul, uh, um, and also 
doing choosing those kind of trips that once you're there do benefit you know destination and conservation of the species i appreciate your presence here today because i think you know a big part of that is, is like you said the mindset or the uh it's really the intention right like if we're not asking ourselves these questions when we're booking if we're not thinking about this if it's not top of mind well we're just gonna we're not gonna think about it at all and then some things might work out and and, and some things might not i mean in the end we'll still go on the trip we still do our thing but you know when we're thinking about the impact we're making it, it makes a big difference even if that is impacting even just a couple decisions more than it would have impacted originally i uh, I, how do you find what airlines greener? I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, I mean, it's um, you know, actually, tools like Skyscanner. What what they've, what they've done is they've done the work for you. Oh yeah, um, okay, yeah, or Google Flights, yeah, where they have the yeah, and Google Flights, yeah, and um, listed, yeah, you know, and there's an organization called Travelist, um, which is is um, is bringing together lots of the big agencies like Booking dot com and Skyscanner and stuff, and they're they're doing a lot of work to help you know, consumers make those, those, those better choices. Um, you know, I think it's a really exciting initiative because it's at a big level, you know, there's been a lot, you know, the small tour operators are one thing, you know, and they may be getting bigger and bigger, but it's actually about addressing, you know, how do most of us book most of the time and trying to get into that. And I think the work they're doing is really important. Are there any small sort of small action, big impact, type of things we should consider on the ground like for example you know traveling with a like a purifier or a water bottle that's refillable you know not using all the plastic and in some of these i think i think it's really important i'm glad you mentioned it because it's a really important part the the packing is such a kind of we all do it and often last minute don't we and it's uh, actually just a few small things you can do before you leave the door is and just things like you know refillable thing and a coffee cup you know and even if you're not drinking coffee you know it's just, or or, or you know, because you might want to stop somewhere and get something else and and people provide you know lots of increasingly lots of businesses provide discounts you know if you if you have your own cup um and you know i think refillable for for, for water as well i mean bottled water it makes so much sense doesn't it um to, to take that with you but also you know even things like taking um, you know, non non single use plastic containers can be really useful. You know, if you're if you're going out into a market and picking up food to eat, you know, put it in that rather than having to always buy a plate and cutlery that are just going to get thrown away. Um, you know, it's a it's a really good thing to do. And also looking at things like your suntan cream and also your toiletries and making sure that they don't have any of the nasties in there. Um, you know, because. You know, do you, do you think you're too small to make a difference? Well, actually, imagine how big the travel and tourism industry is. You know, it's just responsible for one out of ten jobs in the whole world, isn't it? It's a massive industry, and um, you know, the numbers of people flying, uh, numbers of people traveling, you know, from every country now is is enormous. And um, you know, if we can all make a difference ourselves personally, it does ramp up collectively. Yeah. It's hard because there there are a lot of moving pieces. So I mean, do you have like a certain set of questions you ask yourself, kind of as you go through this process? That just like, or any, you know, I know we've covered a lot, but I mean, just any like sort of simple general rules of thumb. Because a lot of times we begin these conversations so multi layered, and I'd love for people to just walk away. I mean, the big thing I I I think people can walk away with right now that they won't forget is like, we'll just try to avoid flying, right? That's like a big sort of general rule that's going to wipe out a lot of your carbon footprint. But if you are going to fly, try and find a, a, a more efficient airline 
And I think that because a lot of people still are flying and we'll me- I don't want to turn them off from this conversation because it's still a big thing that they can still do. still going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and, the, and there's a huge difference, you know, that people can make if you do fly by choosing a, a more efficient airline. Yeah. But any other sort of general rules of thumb that we can just kind of like take away? Well, so, so if you're, you know, you're, you're sort of thinking, gosh, what am I going to pack? Where am I going to stay? What am I going to do? I think energy, waste, water. Just if you think of those three things, you know, so energy in terms of, you know, the, the using electricity, that helps with the sort of transport question. The waste, particularly around where you're going to stay, how do they deal with the waste, you know? And also when you're packing, how can I reduce the waste? Can I, can I unwrap the plastic, you know, that's around my batteries, for instance, and not take that because then you're not going to dispose of it when you're abroad and they might not have the recycling facilities for that. Um, so I think energy waste and water, obviously, you know, if you're going to a water constrained area, just really think about where you're staying and how they'd be mindful of that, you know, especially, especially in places like the Middle East, you know, or in, in Mediterranean countries where water is becoming a huge issue. Cool. Some people might think this is a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Inevitably, I think it's going to be very hard to plan like sort of the perfect green trip, right? It's just not going to happen. Things are going to happen. And so when things are happening or you let things slide for whatever reason, there might be some guilt that comes with that, right? Especially if you're you're a conscious traveler and you're trying to do the right thing, but you know you're not doing the right thing, but you're doing it anyway. And those things are going to happen. Do you ever have that guilt? How do you manage it? I just want to wondering what, where you are with that. I, you know, I think I, I think sharing the good bits of what you've done with others to encourage other people to do it is a really powerful way of dealing with that. Because if your trip isn't 100%, but what elements in it have been good that you can share with other people to Focusing encourage Focusing on them. the wins kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and especially because people are nervous about, you know, overland travel because they'll think they'll end up at a train station with a, waiting for a connection that never comes, you know, or something. And, and to say, actually, you know, it's super easy you know, to get to Norway from the UK, you know, for instance, or vice versa, or, you know, or travel from Norway down to Southern Italy. I mean, there's just so many good, you know, and that, that combination is about connectivity, for instance, of that. And, you know, how you can get off, you take a train to a ferry and then get a, on the other side, you know, get a, a, a transit bus into the town or to take a, you know, or to, or to hire a bike and go cycling around. It's those kind of, I think those pinch points uh, people feel very nervous about that. But if you've had experience of that and say, actually, it was super easy. You know, we, we got off the ferry and the train station platform was right there, 100 yards from the tr- from ferry. It was super easy. We didn't have to carry our bags very far. And off we were away, zipping down through the country. Um, yeah. I mean, great example of that is to get from get from the UK, for instance, to, to, to the Netherlands, to Amsterdam. You know, you can get that there's a ferry that goes from the east of England across and it's connect, it's right next to the the, the train stations at both sides, so it's a seamless kind of sail rail initiative, um, and that makes a big difference. So, and it's not just about the transport though. I mean, all all sorts of other things, you know, like whether it's you know real fillable bottles. If you come across you know some place where they did actually provide a discount for you because you bought, it's quite good sharing that because then people feel, well, yeah, it's good. It is worth me taking these things. Yeah. I think when we get into these conversations, I think the initial sort of thought is that you as the traveler, the individual is going to now be depriving yourself of certain things and and, and that there's no upside, <laughs> right? We talked about 
train travel and, and some of the benefits of that. You just mentioned another example of, okay, well, let's say you bring your own coffee cup or water bottle and now you're getting a discount. You're saving money, right? There are these unexpected benefits, I think, that can get lost or are maybe hiding within these types of conversations or the narrative around, um, you know, well, if you're, if you're trying to be conscious or intentional, that means you're going to have to like give up certain things and then therefore everything's going to be harder where in actuality, maybe you're getting a lot more unexpected benefits that, that then you realize. So what are like, I just wanted to highlight some of those maybe unexpected benefits around this style of travel that, that we leave people like, Oh yeah, like this is actually really freaking cool. This isn't like work. This is actually making my trip better. I think particularly around slow travel, <laughs> you can look at the elements of taking time, getting to know the culture of a destination. And if you're spending more time doing this kind of travel, you do get a better experience because you're more immersed in the culture of the place. Like, for instance, I was talking about when you arrive by train in the middle of this, you know, you come off the platform, and all of a sudden you feel like you're traveling like a local. But also there are benefits that you can get that you might not necessarily know about. And if you sort of dig beneath what you're doing, then you start seeing actually your travel is, you know, the, for instance, how it's benefiting a local community. I mean, for instance, going on a safari, you know, there are upteen different ways of choosing a safari. But if you choose one that benefits the local community, I remember going on once, uh, one on once, and um, there was a woman who was driving us around in, in the safari thing. And then we had to kind of do a kind of, an elephant was coming quite close to us. We had to do a very sharp kind of nine point turn because it was really difficult with all the scrub and everything. And one of the tires got, um, got punctured but we managed to get back to the lodge away from the elephant and i said oh i said oh what a shame is he should no it's actually because it's great because it will give my brother-in-law some work because he mends the tires for the lodge you know it's like and you see that you know they haven't just got mechanics in from elsewhere you know they're actually this safari is really helping work for local people yeah and um and those local people then value the safari the reason why the safari works because people come to see the wildlife and they value the wildlife and see them as you know, better alive than dead. Um, so, in a, you know, there's, it's, I think if you're choosing a more sort of green and more sustainable experience, there are these other things that infiltrate out that might not be immediately obvious, but actually if you start digging around and reading up about what you're doing, will actually come fun. And, and if you share those with other people, it then becomes, you know, a kind of shared resource and you feel, you know, you feel better about your trip because you've contributed to that. Yeah. And there's so many simple things I feel on the ground that I just, like one random example that came to mind is like choosing to, you know, rent the bike and, and pedal out to the beach instead of taking the public transport that, that one day. You just have a different kind of adventure, right? Yeah. And also, you know, funny enough, you can, you can end up being a bit more spontaneous and, you know, spontaneity is one of the great things with travel, isn't it? When things happen that you haven't quite planned and, you know, getting the sort of slower route, you know, rather than just jumping in a taxi and being taken from A to B efficiently as quickly as possible. If you, like you say, hire a bike, you know, you might meet the guys hiring the bike. You might then stop off and pass a cafe on the way and think, oh, I got to hang out there. That looks quite nice. And you can't really do that in a taxi. You can, but it'll cost you a lot more money. And, you know, and it's complicated, isn't it? So, you know, and you cycle along, you start seeing other things that you might not ordinarily see. Um, and so it frees up. I think it's being, it's that kind of immersion in the local way of getting around and being really helps. I've always wanted to walk across a country. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's some I mean, skinny there's a, ones there's out a, there. I could I could do in a couple of days, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> there's an initiative. There's an initiative in the UK called Slowways, where they're trying to sort of provide routes from every urban dwelling, you know, um, to, 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 to chain connectivity that you can do with, with by walking. 
Um, you know, I love in Switzerland. I think there's a in Switzerland there's a if there are a certain number of people that live in an area, there has to be a train station. So it's so so it's so completely brilliantly well served by trains because that's the law. And um, you know, it, to have that confidence as well to know that you can travel around that country. You know, the trains run like clockwork most of the time. I mean, it's just a, it's just a joy going to such brilliant places as well. And I think other countries are seeing what Switzerland has in that, in that sense and are replicating it. Um, you know, and you know, the, the, there are more high speed lines in Spain than there are in, other, in every other country. You know, it's um, really quickly moved over to that. Um, you know, getting between Madrid and Barcelona now is super quick. Just like in Italy, you know, traveling between it, you know, Rome and Milan now is, is really well served by high speed lines. So it's happening. You know, the the the, the rail renaissance is, is is upon us. And um so I think, you know, the, the future's really right for, for people, you know, if if you're traveling around Europe, you know, so many options now. Yeah. How does it feel to get these years of ideas and experiences into a book, man? It feels great. It, I do feel like I've scratched the surface, you know, with it. I think that, you know, originally I thought this book would be a kind of a gathering together of everything. In fact, all it is, is a, is just a taste of many more things that there are available. You know, for instance, I talk about, you know, 10 great campsites that are reachable by public transport. I mean, I ch- had to choose 10, but there are, you know, hundreds. <laughs> right. But that's like another great example of like, wow, yeah, you can take public transport to your camping site. I mean, there's, it's just, there are so many adventures to be had and they don't have to involve all of the sort of traditional things that are the most damaging, I guess, is a big takeaway for me and it's just a reminder, really. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. 
you know, are there any big things we missed here? I mean, I know there is a lot to unpack, so we can't unpack it all in one interview. I always like to ask, you know, hey, what, are we missing anything here? What, what do you want to kind of leave people with? I think I know we've talked a lot about, and and that's my fault. I talked a lot about the traveling to the destination, you know, the carbon emissions associated with that, and it, it is really important. But equally, I think that the, the asset, you know, the nature emergency that we're all facing, you know, is is you know as important. I mean, when you look at the number of species that are threatened now, and you look at like the things, the degradation of of the environment, and therefore the habitat of lots of wildlife and not just the big well-known species but the small things that really matter um, and I, I, there's a, a section in the book called about indicator species and it's, it's perhaps a bit kind of random to put that in but what i wanted to get across was you know let's look at the small things and, and, I, and I didn't choose like the big wildlife you know mammals and things i looked at really small things like the butterfly and dormice and um lichen and these are kind of things if you see them and spot them then you know that that habitat is probably doing okay because they're thriving but if you you know we're increasingly seeing those things not appearing where they should be and and that's you know it's a big you know signal that things aren't going the way they should but equally it's great when you do start seeing those there's a section i've put in the book on hotels with the natural swimming pools you know, beautiful swimming pools that are, you know, wildlife friendly. And when you stay in one of these places, they're gorgeous places and there's lots of wildlife and you've got a pot, you've got a swimming pool, just like every hotel swimming pool, but it's wildlife friendly. And that to me is like sort of exemplary for how, you know, we can all choose to go a bit more sustainable, you know, and then that is a terrific example of, you know, of it just being, just being a better experience as for you, but also for, for helping with wildlife. That's cool. Do you think the pandemic, sort of the big pause, we, we were put really took a big pause on travel in many ways. Do you think that has benefited the work that you're putting out into the world in terms of getting more people to kind of ask these types of questions and, and sort of reframing and changing travel? Like, how is that going to change travel, if if at all? I, I think I think that you know over tourism was you know was really in the news, wasn't it, before the pandemic? And I think that the pandemic has really put that into a sharp contrast you know just seeing we had over tourism now we have no tourism this is what the difference is and i think that in terms of bouncing back from all of this i think a lot of destinations have beginning to begin to rethink well, what do we actually want how can we make tourism work for us better and being more intentional with their more intentional st- still be still still help with being uh, being economically advantageous to the destination but also in a way that isn't as destructive. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for your time. Thanks for all the work you've been doing around this over the years. I think it's really, obviously, and say it's important as an understatement because this is, you know, we get the one planet. <laughs> this is what we get. So we want to travel, we want to explore, but I do think it's it's so incredibly key to have an awareness around this stuff and, and to really try to do our best to make some good decisions along the way. So thanks for helping us do that. Well, thank you. It is an enormous subject and we could talk for hours and hours about this, but it's great to whistle through some of the the options. And I, I think if I can just leave listeners with this is that, you know, there, there, there are many more choices now. It is every time you think, right, I'm going to go away, just think, what could I do that could be just make, even if it's just one choice, you know, that'll make a big difference. For sure. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah. 
there you have it. Thank you so very much to Richard for stopping by the show. Of course, you can pick up his book and check out his website. All of those links are in the show notes. Awesome stuff. I mean, it's it's just good to have tools to work with and to have the conversation and to keep these things top of mind, especially as we kick into the travel season, the high travel season, you might call it, in the summer. And I know I'm planning a trip. I know a lot of other people that are. And let's just try to keep this top of mind and collectively do our part. Now, give me a moment here. I want to shout out somebody in this listening community who dropped me an email with the subject header. In short, thank you is what it said. This is Ruby. I'll read some selections from her email. She says, Hi, Jason. My name is Ruby. I am a 26-year-old from Brisbane, Australia. Been listening to your podcast for a few years. I think it's time to sit down and write to you about just how important it's been to me. A few years ago, I discovered it. I was not in the best headspace and had found myself feeling so utterly stuck in life. I was working full-time as a nuclear medicine scientist, a career which really didn't serve me, receiving ongoing treatment for a chronic illness once every four weeks with no end in sight and living in the apartment I owned, which was siphoning all my cash flow. She goes on to say, there are many things that have happened between now and then, but to summarize, one, I ditched my job. I left my job in nuclear medicine to pursue a career in online nutrition coaching. This affords me the constant education of science, the subjectivity of working individuals' needs, and the ability to work alongside my husband in our strength and conditioning business. Two, I came off treatment. This is pretty incredible. I had been receiving infusions for a primary immune deficiency every four weeks for 22 years when by chance I had to skip one. In the past, this was a disaster and I very quickly ended up in the hospital with chest infections without treatment. However, this time I didn't. Upon speaking to my immunologist, we decided to take this as a test to see how long I could hold up. It's been 18 months and now my immune system has stabilized. I never thought it would be possible to come off treatment and this takes the restrictions out of having to be in the hospital every four weeks, something which I had previously planned my travels around. Three, I sold my apartment, went back to renting. Four, I started competitive bodybuilding. Now, she goes on to say, we have just booked our first international flight in two and a half years. We are off to South Korea and Singapore for five weeks, and she's going there to compete in a bodybuilding show and goes on to say, this trip is going to be five weeks. We need to get back for some work commitments, but the intention is to further develop our business so we can be away for longer periods. So I just want to say thanks and congratulations to Ruby for taking that first step, those first steps to creating a life filled with more travel, step by step, or as they say in Norwegian, stein pull stein, which is stone by stone. (laughs) Really? So cool. So I want to thank Ruby for taking the time to write, share her story, and please, I invite you to get in touch as well, jason at zerototravel.com, and you can always leave me a voice message on the link in the show notes. This is a community-powered show, and I need to hear from you to kind of know what's going on. So let me know what you're up to. Say hi. Drop me a line anytime. Thanks to everybody who's done that in the past. Thank you to Ruby for taking the time to get in touch. Now, last thing, I said at the top that I would share my favorite environmentally friendly travel tip. This is an easy one. Just do more human-powered stuff. No carbon emissions coming out of me. Well, maybe my wife would uh, disagree with that. All right, that was a bad, like, gross dad joke or whatever. I get it. We're not going to make fart jokes here on the show. Whoops! (laughs) I don't know how it went there. Anyway, it's true, though. Human-powered travel. Such a joy. Slows you down. Gets you in touch 
with the world. I'm talking about even around your hometown. You know, I love to walk. It's nice to ride a bike. You know, I've had many interviews over the years on the show with people that have been walking around the world, bike touring, long distances, doing all these things. And one of the common themes is that, hey, you don't have to be some spectacular athlete to participate in more human-powered travel. You can just put your walking shoes on and walk, or you can... uh, you know, get out there and and get on the bike and they don't have to be these epic, you know, thousand, 2000 mile trips. But even the people that have done those long trips said they weren't, a lot of them weren't in fantastic shape when they started. They just kind of started and got into it. So human power travel, always, uh, I think, fascinating, an interesting way to see a country. And there are a lot more options than I think we're even aware of. You know, if you just break it down to mini adventures. I mean, one in particular, use an example that I've been dreaming about that I put on my bucket list recently since I heard about it, is biking the canals in France. Apparently, there's a whole network of uh, bike trails in France that run on these canals. I mean, how hard is it to bike on a flat canal, right? I'm sure you can stay in villages along the way. Maybe there's some camping. I don't know exactly how it works logistically, but that just sounds like a really cool way to travel through a part of France. Now, I'd have to get to France. I live in Europe. I live in Norway. So maybe taking a train down there cuts the environmental impact. Doing a bike trip around France, I could bring my bike on a train. I mean, that sounds like an awesome adventure, right? You know, I don't have the calculator, but is something like that way less than, you know, maybe flying to Southeast Asia and spending a month there. I think based on what Richard said and how much uh, I know uh, airlines can cause in terms of uh, carbon emissions, again, I don't know the math, but I could speculate that perhaps, yes, maybe that makes a huge difference. Uh, So anyway, just things to consider. Human power travel, no matter what your travel experience, I think it's really... Uh, open to anybody. Of course, it is open to anybody. And there are a lot of different versions of that and experiences of that that don't have to be the insane adventures that might come to the top of our minds when we think about human power traveling, rowing across the ocean or some of these crazy things that people do. I'm not going to be rowing across the ocean. I'm probably not going to be biking around the world. But hey, I'll bike through some canals in France and and maybe have some wine and meet some locals and and just have a good time. So there you go. Just wanted to kind of leave you with some food for thought around that. Let me also leave you with a quote. This one is going to come from Rachel Carson, who is the author of a famous book that came out in 1962 called Silent Spring. This was an environmental science book where she talked about the impact of pesticides uh, and the chemical industry and the spread of uh, disinformation and the fact that uh, people were kind of accepting a lot of these marketing claims without uh, really questioning what was going on. And I haven't read the book, but that's the general synopsis of it. And I, I know it's a big, famous book. I mean, in 2006, I'm reading this from Wikipedia, Silent Spring was named one of the 25 greatest science books of all time. And Rachel said... Those who contemplate the beauty of the earth find reserves of strength that will endure as long as life lasts. There is something infinitely healing in the repeated refrains of nature, the assurance that dawn comes after night and spring after winter. Thank you so very much for your time, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. 
ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.